Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 632. Why let Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Um, why don't you tease the topic, even though I think I'm going to derail it pretty early, sweetie. Uh-oh. That's no way to start. Um, we are going to talk about hypervigilance. Oh, that's a lot of... I'm, I'm writing it down. I don't even know if I know how to spell it. Hypervigilance. Yeah, I have no idea how to spell it, I would guess. But um, you don't, Do you know what it means? Overly... Really, if I am, if I'm trying to assemble my daughter's bike, I need to be hyper vigilant to make sure it gets done 100% correctly without any flaws. Hyper vigilant? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that could work. Uh, that it, I mean, it doesn't like it's not super true to the definition, but that makes sense to me. Uh, okay, how would you define it? Well, I mean, do I'm, the definition is an elevated state of assessing potential threats around you. Yeah, and if I don't assemble that bike correctly, <laughs> my darling, the wheel might fall off and she might die. Do you know any uh, hyper vigilant people? Yeah, I think I do. Who does she live with you? Oh, you. <laughs> The elevated state of constantly assessing potential oh, threats around you. Oh, yeah, yeah. You. That's my sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does she, of, she across from you? That's going to be an interesting topic if we go there today. Well, that's the topic. Interesting. But what about all my stuff? Well, For, you you start. First and... thing and most importantly, we have a Zen talk today. Okay, cool. At 1 p.m. Yes. So if anybody's listening to this in the morning, like, God, I'd like to check that out. First month's free. Go to ZenParentingRadio.com, sign up. And get on a Zoom call with Kathy and Todd and a bunch of other amazing moms and dads. And um, you guys just bring up what's cooking in your life and we as a community support you. That's basically it. And this Thursday, there's a micro community built within the Team Zen community called uh, Parents of Differently Wired Kids. Yeah. And, you know, last week when we did our Zen talk, it got brought up again because there's so many people in our community who either have experience or are going through something themselves right now um, with their child who they are either they have determined they're neurodiverse or are curious mm-hmm. about neurodiversity. And they just realized that they this this micro community, as we've called it, has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. But they're like, we got to we got to up those meetings. That's right. Um, so there's one this Thursday at 4.30 Central, and it's a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in that, you're more than welcome to join the team and then join this micro community. And I want to say hi to our three newest Teams and members, Andrea from Indiana, Kristen from Rhode Island, and Sarah from the great state of Iowa. Nice. Sweetie. That's where you and I come from. I mean, not originally, but that's where you and I went to college. We spent four years in the great state of Iowa. Yeah. Um, okay. And before I get into the Zen parenting moment, I just want to have this quick tangent. I was listening to a podcast where the guys were interviewing Will Forte and they were making fun of Will Forte and how he exits parties because he has to <laughs> like really, like he's the last one to leave to all parties and uh-huh. he always helps clean up Aww, and he always, what a sweet man. um, you know, hugs people and he never escapes the party and all that. And I just want to, um, explain how I choose to leave parties. And then maybe you can explain how you do. Sure. Because I have a story about how you do, but it might be different than what you... I I think your story is wrong. Okay. So how I leave parties, and I just, you know, we're about to go into the holidays and Mm -hmm. there's going to be parties and you're going to leave them. Um, The way I leave parties is I give everybody a quick hug 
and I leave the house. Okay. And I get in the car and then... So I think I do it the best. Oh, oh, this is surprising. Because when it's time to leave, that means we want to leave. Correct. And maybe this is some PTSD of of you and Manisha leaving <laughs> and we'll be... Kathy's best friend or one of her best friends is Manisha and... <laughs> Um, we'll be like, all right, it's 10 o'clock, time to leave. <laughs> and you'll be at the front door for 32 minutes. So a couple of years ago, um, our youngest, uh, Manisha's youngest and my youngest, they started, when we'd say it's time to go, they started setting a timer <laughs> yeah. without us knowing. And they like have, they're like, so the longest has been like a whole nother night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have sometimes just reverse course and said, why don't you guys sleep over? Okay. <laughs> so funny in itself but you know typically it's around 45 minutes yeah it's unbelievable <laughs> and i know that there's different dynamics within this idea is if it's like a work party and you're not right in i'm not you like don't that. love yeah. everybody then it's you know i would probably escape from that party versus my immediate family right so there's a lot of differences but how do you think of yourself well, as a party leaver i think i am i am not a ghoster mm-hmm. um i mean there have been times when i've been like you know what i've talked to everybody especially work stuff or things where they're not necessarily all of our best friends it's more like acquaintances mm-hmm. i'm like they don't need me to come up and hug them again mm-hmm. we had but if it's a family or pretty close friends i am not a ghoster i go up and give a hug and say i'm leaving and i am usually not one of the last people there mm-hmm. so it is sometimes difficult mm-hmm. to leave because everyone's like what are you doing where are you going because i'm an earlier leaver um so I think when we're talking about like best friends, mm-hmm. you know, when it's just small groups, it is hard for me to say goodbye because there's 10,000. I mean, one of the things that I say with a lot of my friends is we'll be like, oh my God, we have a list of things we need to get over. Which I think is hilarious. Get through. And usually we get through two of like 15 things on the list. Yeah. And so it's like when someone's leaving, it's like we didn't we didn't complete this cycle. Yeah. And so that can be hard. But I think it just depends. I mean, I'm not answering your question. With good friends, it's very hard to say goodbye. But with your typical party, I'm pretty good at hugging and saying goodbye. Yeah, and I will say, um, so Jessica came over last week and Manisha was here and, you know, Manisha's daughter. And I ghosted everybody. And the reason I ghosted everybody- You totally went to sleep. Because one, because I was tired. But two is if I say, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and go to sleep or go watch TV or whatever, I feel like that sometimes- Ends the party. Ends the party. Sure. And I didn't want to do it. So I, I don't know whether or not it's me just not wanting to- Todd thinks he's the life of the party. <laughs> and when he leaves, it's over. No, it's not that. You know what, honey? Yeah, you know I what do I mean. get it. Yeah. I really do. I Because then there's like, you are bringing to our awareness the fact that the, end, the night is ending yeah, for you. Exactly. And then I and right. I don't want them to think that that means, hey, here's a hint, totally. get out of my house. Right. But right. I ghosted them and I feel bad that I didn't say. So right. Jess and Manisha, if you're listening, I sorry you. I ghosted you. And yeah. I do love each uh-huh. of you very, very much. Um, okay. So now we're going to talk about what I think is probably one of your most important Zen parenting moments uh-huh. that you've ever written. Uh-huh. Oh, thanks. Um, I mean, they're all good. So Kathy does this thing every Friday and it's a quick, short essay that you can usually read in about 45 seconds. Can I tell you something about this one? please. Uh, Before you dive into it. It, Yes, Zen Parenting Moment. If you go to zenparentingradio.com and uh, slash resources, you'll see everything we have to offer and Zen Parenting Moments on there. It'll also be below here. Um, You Mm. can click in the podcast notes and, and and subscribe. All you do is put in your email and you get it every Friday. 
for the most part, I have this steady group of people who get these. Um, and, you know, people unsubscribe and, and new people come on and that's just the way it goes. The interesting thing about this one is I thought this was one of the most important things I've written to and I had the most unsubscribes. It's probably because it scares people. It does. And I know that and I knew that mm -hmm. posting it, mm -hmm. but that can't be a reason to not talk about these things. Like I knew it because I knew there's so much going on with the world right now. The people are like, I don't want to hear another thing, mm -hmm. but we don't get to postpone these things. Yeah. Um, so anyway, go ahead. So it'd be easy for me to skip over it and go to an old Zen parenting moment. Sure. But I'm trying to lean into this um, uncomfortable topic of hopelessness and sadness and suicide mm -hmm. and things like that. And our, in our teens. Yeah. In, and our specifically in our adolescence. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm going to play a clip. So you always start it with a quote and the quote is from a song called hold on mm -hmm. by Sean Mendez. Yeah. And I like this song so much that I've annoyed my daughters because I play it so much. Mm -hmm. And so music doesn't hit me as deeply as it does, I would say, the average person. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is it doesn't make me cry. It doesn't make me jump for joy typically. But this is one of those songs that really brings me, I, it hits me in the chest. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, Shawn Mendes is a pop star that your sons and daughters probably know about. And us old people that are in our 40s or 50s probably don't, or at least not as much. Camila Cabello's boyfriend? Well, actually, they broke up. Oh, did they? Or is it Cabello? The girls are always like, you're saying it wrong. Um, yeah. Um, sorry for that breakup. Yeah, November. Shaw. It was bummer. They were they were quite the couple. Um, and I actually saw Shawn Mendes in concert so with did you. So did I. That was fun. So this is a song that I believe he wrote because being on the road and being so young got really scary. Well, and he deals with depression. And he deals with depression. Mm -hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play an extended part of the song because I think it's really important. It's about a minute long instead of the traditional 30 seconds. I see you wincing. Yeah, we're I'm, really not supposed to do I'm gonna that. I'm going to pause it to, okay. to make sure that we're okay with um, copyright, even though this is fair use and it's... I'm important, I know. Very important. So um, just listen for about a minute or so. Stop, take it in and I breathe for a minute. I think too much when I'm alone. I never win when I keep all my thoughts inside so i'll pick up the phone so here's my pause all right this is me continuing to play it oh you go ahead i was just gonna say that we have played this song on this show before yeah but it's worth playing again and my dad says sean stay with me everything will be all right i know i haven't seen you lately you're always on my mind I don't know what you're going through but there's so much life ahead of you and it won't slow down no matter what you do so you just gotta hold on all we can do is hold on yeah. all right all right uh, every time I actually played this at a men living meeting because it was so impactful to me. Do you want to help us understand why you wrote this blog and what it's about? Sure. So um, a number of things. There was a Surgeon General put out a report about three weeks ago 
And it was all about the fact that the mental well-being of our adolescents and teens, our children, um, is is statistically um, not great, mm-hmm. uh, especially have gone, you know, the pandemic and the fact that we're still in it. Like, mm-hmm. I love it when people are like, remember COVID? It's mm-hmm. like, no, no, we're still in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the how it affects them and how they are struggling. And they, you know, when you look at the stats of, you know, a, a kid who says that they're dealing with depression, that's gone up, anxiety has gone up. So the stats are pretty overwhelming. Um, they were overwhelming to me. Like in my book, um, I wrote it, during the pandemic or a little bit before. And I thought the stats were bad then. And I actually changed the book a little bit. And I said, these were the statistics before the pandemic. So you can only imagine, right? Um, and and I don't say that to people. You know, our show is not about fear. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, we're not trying to create fear. What we're trying to do is say, be aware of this so this can be a topic of conversation. That's what I was trying to say in this, yeah. this writing is I wasn't saying be afraid. Like, the thing I can't stand about the news, especially things about COVID right now and variants and everything, is everyone's like, watch out. Mm-hmm. And it's like... I, I always let me give a more you know a, a less uh, challenging example. When my kids were little, and like a, someone would come over and they'd be like, you know, we'd have a play date, and then they'd go home, and the next day they'd be like, my kid has sniffles today and doesn't feel good, so watch out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, watch out, f- like for what? And like, I get what they're doing; they're trying to be like responsible, but there's this thing where then for the hypervigilant people like me, it's not helpful because then I'm on such high alert. Yeah. So I can understand how that translates to this too and how some people are like, don't tell me to look for these things. It's not about being afraid. It's about bringing up a conversation. So if your child and when, because all all children and adults go through this, right? When they are dealing with anxiety, when they are feeling depressed, you have already talked about these things and you have already said, here's all the routes you can talk to me, you can talk to this person, you can talk to your social worker at school, you can talk to a therapist, you can talk to Aunt Jane, you can talk to, and letting them, normalizing something so when they are feeling it, they don't feel alone. So what I wrote about was the fact that my daughter, who's in college, who's home now, she's upstairs sleeping, um, she had texted you and I a couple weeks ago and said, she just texted me out of the blue, she said, Mom, um, a kid jumped off the bridge a little bit ago. And I was like, whoa, 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 like, you know, like what's going on? I texted her back and she goes, yeah, it was before the report had even come out of the school. It just happened so close to where she lives that all the kids knew what happened because kids saw it. Mm-hmm. A kid just jumped off the bridge and no, he did not make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was devastating to her and devastating to her friends and really they were very upset and they weren't psyched about the way everything was handled because they knew things before there was a report, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately that wasn't my daughter's first experience with knowing, you know, someone who was attempting or had committed suicide. Like this is too common for our children's generation Mm -hmm. or contemplation of, um, you know, suicidal ideation. It's just too common. And, why this is important is then these conversations can decrease the likelihood. Yeah. The co- it's just, it's like everything else. 
But what we end up doing as parents is we do one of two things, uh, typically. Uh, some of us do this very well in this conversation about mental wellness or this is what you do if you're struggling comes very naturally. But oftentimes we do one of two things, ignore it because we don't want to hear what our kids have to say. Mm -hmm. So we just pretend the mental wellness isn't an issue and we chalk everything up to they're in a bad mood or they're dramatic or whatever. Or we overdo it and we're constantly like, how are you? How yeah. are you? So we have to find that middle place. And it's not easy. Not every day is easy to do that. But the whole thing that I wrote was about, here's what I say to my kids. Mm -hmm. So that was, and I found, and again, I guess I totally understood why some people unsubscribed, but I want to be like, I'm telling you, here's what you can say to your kids. You ready for some of my highlights of this blog? Sure. So you uh, talked to JC and you said the two things I share with her and sisters during dark times, you remember what they are? Yeah. You are the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And number two, hope is always available, even yeah. when you can't feel it. Yeah. And then create a space for them to share their story and share their pain. And you say, everything else comes second. Everything, school, sports, jobs, friends, nothing else matters. Will you expand on that? Well, like Todd and I have had some experiences with, our children and other people's children where we've had to really shut shut shit down mm -hmm. and say we're only focusing on you right now and we've done that like we've been like like the language that you and I have used over the years has been like it's like we're nursing mm -hmm. what did you say nursing like a, like a fawn a, back to yeah health. a wounded fawn a, back so to it's like nothing else matters right now strip everything else strip away every, whatever you need we are here this is what we're focusing on Nope, we're not going to do that. Nope, we've canceled that. We And you and I have done this too when I've been struggling where I've been like, nope, I'm not doing that part of my work anymore. Yeah. Like everything, if you are in your own crisis, you can't be like, well, I'll handle that crisis when I get home from my 10 hour whatever. Yeah. And again, I know some adults are like, I got to go to work. I get it. And mm -hmm. adults have different tools mm -hmm. than children. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they have different access to things that kids don't. So I'm really talking about teens sure. and adolescents. Um, but just, you really just get down to, if they are struggling, you are going to become the most important thing. And, and my girls have watched us do that. So I know they trust that we'll do that. Um, and that doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever. It's just, sure. it's a moment in time. Well, I think this is one of your strengths because I have a tendency and it's a balance. Like obviously if, if our teenagers are struggling in this now moment and we have to, discern or tune in to, to what degree they're struggling. And you've been really good at prioritization. Like the mm -hmm. most important thing is this. Mm -hmm. Whereas sometimes I'd be like, well, let's work on yourself. And we could probably keep going on with business as usual too. And I don't even think that that's a healthy thing. Now, sometimes business as usual is kind of a, a nice distraction from something, but at the same time, if it serves as an escape and you're going to be in the exact same situation mm -hmm. you were beforehand, mm -hmm. then that's when you're like, no, you're, I need you to pull away. You're off the football team because if you're having these thoughts, then this is what's most important, not the football team. Or if football is what's keeping you going, mm -hmm. let's figure out a way to make that work. Yeah. And that, so it's not about like what you just described, even though I totally get what you're saying, yeah. can sound punitive. Yeah. There's nothing punitive no, in here. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. We're not taking away things that our kids love to say you can't do anything but right. focus on. Yeah, thank you. I'm just talking about like 
like, so if you've got a kid who's like, no, no, ballet is what keeps me going, yeah. or I need to be on cross country, or I need, then you help them do that. Right. You know, so this, but what I mean is if a kid is breaking down yeah. and they're like, I don't know if I can go to practice yes, right now. Thank you. Thank you. Then you're like, you don't have to, exactly. because this is what's most important. So there, we don't have, Todd and I don't have a message of here's what, you know, it's so funny. Cause I just said, I have this letter is about, here's what you do. Mm-hmm. I don't have steps about do this and do this. I'm talking about the the awareness you have going yeah. in, the words you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, you parents, own, you're the ones who know your kid, not me. Yeah. I don't know your kid. I know my kids. But these are the things I say to my kids, and then the, the chips fall where they may with what I know about my children. So go ahead, Todd. You go on to say it will be messy and uncomfortable. Yeah. We will feel, we, we will cry and feel out of control. Yeah. So in other words, like this process sometimes is it's brutal. really brutal yeah, and it's messy. Mm-hmm. Um, we build a team of people that love us and take care for us. So it's interesting. I, just, I called my buddy the other night, just out of the blue. I asked him how he was doing. And sadly, uh, his wife's brother uh, passed away uh, as a result of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. So my friend is trying to keep his family together in this moment of crisis because yeah. his wife is just she going needs through to some go through serious her own stuff. Thing. Yep. And, and he and I love each other. We say we love each other on the phone. He's got this wonderful support of other men that he can reach out to. And what's funny is he didn't reach out to any of us. How come? I, I, it could be a guy thing. Or it could be he literally didn't have the time to do it. Yeah, that could be. The only reason that he shared with me is because I happened to call him. So it's funny. It's like, you know, I try to, you know, when I'm struggling, I lean on the people that I love for support. But even with that, I'm just noticing a pattern with some of my guy friends is, oh, yeah, I was in a really big crisis last month. And I said, oh, who would you reach out to to help you? They're like, oh, nobody. I just, I, I thought I could handle it myself. So it's just like a reminder. It's like an open invitation that to reach out for these foundational supporting places that you've created for these exact moments. And I think it's just easy sometimes for us to forget and try to be martyrs. Well, and I think you have to remember, like I use the word team for a reason. Like when I or uh, Todd or my girls have been in crisis, I'm a big team builder. Mm-hmm. I don't believe anybody should have to shoulder everything for somebody. I think you need um, professional support. I think you need family support. I think you need friend support. I think you need work support. And so I'm a reacher outer. Like, can you do that? Like, I just was with my sister last week and I was like, hey, could you text Cameron this thing about looking at colleges? Because I, you know, it, it's not about do my work for me. It's about your voice it's land rings very yeah. well in her ears. Or I, I always ask Manisha to do the same or Jess to do the same. Like, I need other people to help me do the things I do. Yeah. And and they are and I think what they know is they're not the only ones. So they're not like, oh shoot, if I start this process, Kathy's gonna depend on me for mm-hmm. everything. They know it's just because I do the same for them. Yeah. Like if my if any of my friends are like, hey, can you talk to my kid or can you of course. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, give me give me their text. I'll text them whenever you need or mm-hmm. You know, they can talk to me whenever they need. Like, that is what we do. And so that's part of the reason I think that I don't have a hard time reaching out to this certain circle that you know that I would reach out to because I know that I do that for them too. So the one other thing before we move on to the main topic that I'll share is uh, we interviewed our friend Mercedes Samudio Mm -hmm. last week. 
And I don't remember what we were talking about, but somehow I stumbled on a story that I had because a friend of mine reached out and told me he was contemplating taking his own life. And then I think I share with Mercedes, like, I'm not qualified to handle this type of phone yeah. conversation. What's the suicide hotline and give him that number and you all that. You felt out of your league. Yeah. I felt out of my, like, did I do it right? Mm-hmm. I felt like I did okay, but I'm always thinking I could have done it better. And she said something that I don't think I'll ever forget. And that was that person reached out to you mm-hmm. for a reason. And that doesn't mean I'm going to fix this man's problems. But for me to um, not think that I'm qualified to handle a conversation like this, she helped me realize like, I am the best person in this now moment to create the space for this man to Seek what he share needs. whatever mm-hmm. it is that he needs. And that, that will be, I'll always be grateful to her for that. And that's like a very narrow story about depression and all that. But I, I'm always going to remember that. Like, yeah, when when you get that call, mm-hmm. it's time for you to step up, not to fix any problems, but create a safe space for that person and then get them the resources that they need. Well, yes, that's what I was going to say is what we discussed on that call was to, and Mercedes, it was beautiful what she said, kind of like he reached out to you because he trusts you. Yeah. So he's coming to you for a reason. And that is in itself a beautiful responsibility. And then what Todd can do in that moment, again, he's a light, you know, he's a certified coach and all those things, but in a mental health crisis, he's the bridge yeah. to the next place. He doesn't have to fix it. He doesn't have to get him through the, his friend through the depression. He just says, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I validate you. I'm here. Now let's build the team. Yeah. And let's now reach out to the places. Like sometimes other people need you to make the initial calls. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Sure, sure. Like yeah. that's always what's been helpful to me is when someone's like, let me start the calls mm-hmm. and then I'll get back to you. And then even kickstarting that process. Um, but you never... I think what she was saying to you is don't lose track of the fact that there's some there's something you have yeah. that they trust. Mm-hmm. And it could just be, it has nothing to do with coaching, friendship. Yeah. So that's a wonderful transition. Why don't we you talk real briefly about what the summit is coming up okay. on January 31st, yes. and then we'll talk about hypervigilance. Yeah, because Mercedes is in the summit. So you guys, this is the questions I keep getting about the Zen Parenting Summit. Uh, you know, how much is it? It's free. This is literally a gift. Todd and I have been working on this since July, Mm -hmm. and it is just free. Now, obviously, the you know, if everyone's like, well, then why are you doing it? I have a book coming out in February. This is a celebration of my books and parenting, and we wanted to build something around it. We knew we didn't want to do a live conference this year. It just seemed too shaky. And now with everything going on in the world again with another variant, I think we made the right decision there. Um, We, you know, needed to do something virtual, and, and we were like, you know, we're going to be talking about my book. That's the that's what Todd and I are going to be doing during the summit. But everybody else, the other 13 thought leaders, um, they're going to be talking about their expertise and what they have to offer parents and how to take care of ourselves and our kids in these unpredictable times. That's what this summit is about. So there's literally zero to lose. Just register for it. Yeah. Just go to... Um, you can go to zenparenting.com slash resources. You can go below the... Um, Show notes. The show notes, and you can click there. You can go to our Instagram page, our Facebook page, our just anywhere, and you can, you know, find 
this page and see who's in this conference. We've got Dr. Shafali Savari. We have Mercedes, like we said. We have Leslie Priscilla um, from Latinx Parenting. We have um, John Duffy, Rosalind Wiseman, Debbie Rebert. Like, we've got a bunch of people that all of you may already know, but we're talking about very different things. And it's really interesting because some of them are interviewing each other, um, you know, like Ted Bunch and uh, Kimia, they're interviewing each Mm -hmm. other. So it's very interesting I think the conversations uh, that are part of the summit. So all you do is go put in your name and email and that's it, my friends. Your work is done. And if, you know, since I have your attention, we will be talking about my book during the summit. So pre-order it. And not only do you get access to the book, you know, when it, when it comes out on the 1st of February, but then you are registered for a giveaway where Todd and I are giving away amazing prizes and you can get some extra content about self-awareness and chakras that Todd and I are recording that won't be part of that week. Mm-hmm. So bonus content, bonus content. And again, the summit begins the uh, 31st of January and it goes through the 4th of February. Boom. Okay. Done. What is this about hypervigilance? So, okay. So I was telling you this morning that about two or three weeks ago, I was listening to one of Brene Brown's podcasts on Unlocking Us. And she was talking with her sisters about her new book, Atlas of the Heart. And she was discussing how she understood something at an early age. And I really could relate to it very well. Um, And in what she, when she was little, Basically, the way she describes it is that she could understand, and she didn't have language for this when she was young, and neither did I, but she realized how emotions, so this is like a trinity, emotions, thinking, and behavior were all connected, okay? Mm -hmm. And that she could watch a situation like a pattern and recognize that if someone's emotional state was a certain way, and then they were behaving a certain way, she could recognize what they were thinking, or if they were behaving a certain way and they were, you know, there was an emotional response. She knew, you know, like she could yeah, see you, all the pieces. If you got two pieces. If she had two pieces, she, she knew could the, fill third. In the third. Now, well. the most important one there is the thinking and the emotion. And then she knew the behavior yeah. that was going to occur. And what she ended up doing in her family of origin a lot is being the person who was noticing these patterns and would do everything she could to keep certain things from happening. Mm-hmm. And she would actually look around at everybody else in the family and go, how do you people not know that saying this or not saying this or doing this is going to cause this disruption? How do you, it, she wasn't annoyed at people. She just didn't understand. Mm. And I, I'm not, I'm not exactly the same as Brene Brown, nor is she like me or you like me or whatever, but I can relate to that understanding of when you're with people and someone's like, I'm going to say this right now, but you're watching this person's behavior and emotion and you know it's not going to land. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Why would you set off this bomb when you know that's going to happen? And I spent a lot of time in my childhood, not just with my family, but with friends and with teachers and everything, keeping those things from happening. Okay. Like saying, so. This gets a little bit interesting to me because, and I think it will be to you too, Todd, and I also don't think I'm special. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do this in their family, and I think a lot of people do this still right this moment. I know I do. Mm-hmm. Is that what I realized is this is part of why I had to go deep into my own self-awareness as I got older because if you understand how people are going to react to things, 
and you can see that pattern really clearly, you are never really going to present yourself exactly the way you are. So it, it removes you from being 100% authentic. It, it has to. Because, because you're trying to control or influence a situation. Exactly. So instead of you being you, you are being the strategic one who's trying to manage multiple personalities, multiple people. Correct. Because you kind of feel like you're like, this is not right. I know people in the Marvel universe will be like, Kevy, that's not what Dr. Strange does. But I feel like you're kind of Dr. Strange where you're like circling this over here and you're like, I'm going to say this over here. I'm going to make eye contact with this person over here. I'm going to make sure this person talks to this person really quick and I'm going to facilitate this and then everybody will be okay. I understand there's also a grandiosity in what I'm saying right now where people may say, Kevy, you're not really doing that much. You know, don't, you, mm. you know, there's, don't be grandiose that yeah. you're controlling all this. I hear that and I also know that there's part of it I am mm -hmm. because I did it my whole life and I know how you this saw the lands. results. Exactly. So let me so let me you know, I don't know how this will land, but you spent time when you were younger doing whatever you could do to be Doctor Strange and manage and influence <laughs> situation probably because you asked why. The why is because my guess is younger version of Kathy felt scared. Sure. And this is the way to make her feel safe, because if I yep. can manipulate these different um, pawns on a chessboard or these different, whatever these players on this team, then it's not th volatile. Then I'll feel safer. Correct. You know, I can speak to that all the time. Like if I was a good enough kid, then my parents wouldn't fight. A hundred percent. And if I say this right now, like one the another thing i related to in this podcast that Brene did was that she was talking about one of her sisters she has a younger sister who asked a lot of questions mm -hmm. and was super curious all the time and basically the feedback she got was oh my god stop talking mm -hmm. and i from you know family and friends got that a lot mm -hmm. kind of like oh my god you talk so much yeah. <laughs> and i know it's what i do for a living i talk it todd knows i talk a lot this i'm an external processor i'm it's not a curiosity necessarily about no, it is about how the world works. It's about people's emotions and can you believe what this person said? Like, And I know that that can be too much for people sometimes, but it can also, when you're a child, kind of diminish, make you think that what you're asking isn't really of value. Mm -hmm. And that also really what your job is, is to manage everybody else gets to show up as mm -hmm. they are. Is there, and, a, go ahead. is there a safe example just to sure, kind of bring it Sure, I can tell home? you from tomorrow. Okay. okay. So not from tomorrow, from yesterday. So yesterday uh, you were frustrated because oh, yeah. one of my daughters, her car tire was needed to be filled up. And she had about, we had just gotten home from Spider-Man. She had about an hour before she had to go to work. And she said, Dad, will you fill up my tire? And Todd, understandably, was like, I want you to do this with me because I want you to understand how to do this. And this is something a 17-year-old should be able to do. And I agree. My dad taught me how to use the car, how to fill the oil, or how to change the oil. Like, I totally agree. And you were like, this is important to me. And she was like, I don't have time. Please just do it. And I was standing between you going, how do you guys not see what's happening here? Like, I can feel you. I can feel her. And the bottom line was, is I'm going to obvi obviously go to the adult, mm -hmm. which is you. And I turned to you and I said, what you want her to do right now is super important, and I'm totally with you. But she doesn't have the ability to hear you right now, mm -hmm. and she doesn't feel that she has the time. Like you would say, no, it's only going to take five minutes. She doesn't feel that you have the time. So why don't we agree that you will do this now, 
And then tomorrow or the next day, you will show her how to do it when she has more bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And you totally heard me, but you were not happy with that. Totally reactive and pissed off while filling up the tires. And I look at this situation, and again, I can also say I'm not super emotionally charged, so it's easier for me to see. But I don't understand. And again, when I say this, you don't need to explain, Todd. I don't understand how you don't see what's going on with her right in that minute and how you would feel what you're asking her to do is going to fly. Mm. It's not going to work. Like you are, you are bucking, you are, you are hitting your head on a concrete wall mm. and this is going to, and, but you're not wrong in what you're asking. You just have to figure out a way for her to hear it when she's not feeling overwhelmed by the fact that she's got to go to work for the next five hours and get home at midnight tonight. Mm -hmm. Like filling up a tire is not on her agenda. Right. That's a very, um, that's an example of in our family, um, what I see, and not, not just with you and the girls, but with the girls together. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they were little and argue, I could hear them both. I'm like, I know, I know she wants to spend more time with her and that's why she's mad and not sharing her clothes. I know that she needs to be alone and she also feels so much that she needs to put a block to like, I could see what everybody was doing and why they were fighting. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I can solve it yeah. because if they don't understand it yeah. and they don't want to hear me explaining to them who they are mm -hmm. and who the hell knows, I could be wrong. Yeah. I leave the door open for being like, mom, you're reading this mm -hmm. wrong. I'm I am not I am not magic. Yeah. I am just kind of tuned in mm -hmm. to what these people are saying. And sometimes they're like, no, mom, you're reading that wrong. Okay, totally hear you. Because remember, it's filtering through my body. Sure. So I may be seeing something through the eyes of my seven-year-old self. Mm -hmm. And that that's not what's really happening. But let's say 82% of the time, I'm not too far off. Yeah, you're locked in. Yeah. So that's an example of where, like, I know you're frustrated, but I'm also like, how do you not understand what's going on right here? Right. So you were um, in awareness. You could kind of tune into both the daughter and, and myself. You. I knew what you needed. And then um, how did you process that in the moment? What I did was I actually gave Skylar a big... Um, compliment is she was not part of this conversation, but she was able she was to observe, sit. She was observing it. And sometimes she can become uncomfortable when there's like noticeable conflict. And you guys weren't yelling at each other. You were just like, this is important to me. And she's like, this is important to me. And she handled sitting there very well. I gave her a compliment. Um, but what did I do in that moment? I kept my eyes on you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed that, but I was looking at you the whole time. Oh, like, look at me. I did not notice that because I was not. I was not going to be like Todd. You're doing this wrong, or or you know, you're. You never want to say to your partner in front of your children. You never want to put them down. Mm -hmm. And nor did I think you were wrong in what you were asking. What I, the reason I was looking at you is in that situation, you're the one who's going to have to understand. Because she is not going to. Right. And I still don't think I understood. However, I did end up filling the tires. Correct. And so I, what I did, and, and you may not remember because your emotions were yeah, in yeah. it, was I said, it sounds like what needs to happen is she needs to learn how to fill this tire, but right now there's no time right. for it. And then you said, no, it'll take five minutes. Yeah. So I was like, okay, how am I going to say this differently? It sounds like she doesn't feel like she has the time for mm. it right now. So why don't you go fill the tires and let's make a time. And then you said, I know what's going to happen. She's going to say she's going to do it and she's not going to. And I said, well, you are assuming something that hasn't right. happened yet because she has a 
when she's in a big space, she can do a lot of things. Fiercely independent. Fiercely independent. And I mean that with like, if she's not in an emotional state, she's very willing to listen and talk and everything. So it's not like what you were saying was absolutely true. Yeah, what we had is two people dancing. Who wanted to win. From a reactionary, judgmental place who wanted to win. And neither of you were wrong. Yeah, and it's so easy for me to float into... So right now I find myself wanting to defend... Of course. ...and explain... And you can. justify... No, that's all content. What was underneath it was... I don't even... It's a whole rabbit hole that I don't think we need to go down right now. (laughs) Well... it, It wasn't about the tire. It was other assumptions, beliefs... Like, oh, if she doesn't fill up her tire now, then she'll never be able to fill fill up her tire. So I see. You're not blaming her. You're saying my assumptions were correct. Yeah, because when you get into this kind of reactivity, you start making up a bunch of stories that simply are not true. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess the one thing I'll say in a defensive posture, which is not really where we should reside, um, as of this moment... Is it going to be my job to say, okay, honey, let's go fill up the tire, or is it going to be her job? Because that's messy right now. Like the whole teaching thing on oh, the next few days thing. Like, am I going to bring it up, or is she going to? Because if you are going to be in a good mood, okay, yeah. first, and you are going to say, guess what? <laughs> I have something for you in the garage, and you are going to love it, and you are going to be funny. Mm-hmm. And she's going to go, what, what is it? And you're going to go, oh my God, you can't, you're not even going to believe it. And you're going to put your arm around her and you're going to walk her out to the garage. You're going to be like, oh my God, this is so great. Mm -hmm. You're going to go look at this and you're going to go, oh my God, watch what I do. And, you know, play your favorite song while I do it. You are going to do it with a lightness Mm -hmm. and where she can hear it. And you guys walk back in and you guys are going to have a joke where you're like, you are not going to believe what we just did. So no, you're not going to do, honey, now it's time to learn. Like she's going to have the same experience, which is, oh my God, like she might have more capacity. Well, the part of me wants it, first of all, your idea is so much better than anything I would have come up with, which would have been wait for her to say, okay, dad, I'm ready, which she might be. That's you trying to prove your hypothesis correct. For sure. Correct. Yeah. Or the other is being serious saying, okay, let's go do this now. Right. And your idea is so much better. So the thing is, is you have to remember what's important to you in a moment and what's important to another human. Because when you look at this human, she is going to school all day. She is volunteering. She is working. And she's trying to figure out college. And she's trying to figure out life and deal with friends and deal with, you know, her own well-being. It's not as if she's bored. No. And I try to, in in the context of the discussion that we had yesterday, I did try to offer, I don't think it came from the right place, but I'm like, I know how independent, I know how hard you're working. Like I threw some, but, but, but there was yeah, a, but so she there. didn't hear any of that. because what it meant to me is like, you talk about my own internal process. It was like my own inadequacy as a father and talk about making up stories. Right. Like how can I have raised a daughter who doesn't know how to fill up her tire and she's 17 years old? So it's even not even about her. I know. I was going to say, I didn't know that yet. I know I'm sitting here saying my dad taught me these things, but over time, he was teaching me these things when I was in college. He Mm. was, do you remember the whole gas uh, cap story I told you about in college where I drove home? It was my junior year. It was probably Thanksgiving or something. And I was leaving to go back to college. Mm. And my dad was like, do you have gas in the car? And he kind of like opened the, you know, it's like a moment where you just open it. And I didn't have the gas cap on. Mm -hmm. I had lost it. Mm -hmm. I don't know where. Yeah. This was before they used to connect them, you know? Yeah. And he was like, Kathy, 
you can't have the gas cap missing. The air gets it. You know, I don't even really still understand. Yeah. But you can't have that happen. Yeah. And he was so angry with me. And I drove away thinking, oh, my God, my dad is so angry with me. And then when I got to school, he actually called me and said, I'm sorry, but I thought I had explained to you why this. So he was upset with himself that I did That's exactly know. what I want to highlight. Exactly. So your dad was let you have the anger. Because he, he was nervous. He didn't t- teach me. Because it was about his Correct. own, I can't believe. And mine, I think I even said yesterday in the kitchen was, I knew how to fill up my freaking tire when I was six years old. But you know what you didn't know how to do? Talk about your feelings. Yeah. Uh, volunteer at a hospital. Yeah. Um, you know, focus on your great. You didn't. You had skills in one area. Right, right. She has skills in another. Right. So her not being like you doesn't make her lazy mm. or wrong. And you you weren't right. saying those all, things. But no. once again, all stories that Correct. I make up. Yeah. And once again, I just want to highlight the fact that it really isn't about my daughter no. as much as it was about me. But that's too scary for me to admit in that moment. And I didn't even think it. I thought in that moment it was all about her. Right. When in fact it was about what kind of dad am I if my kid doesn't know how to fill up their tire? You know what the other piece is about that you're not saying? What? Is you really struggle with entitlement issues. Yes, totally. And 100%. we, our car that our girls have always driven, it died. Mm-hmm. It was the car that Skylar was born in, mm-hmm. the, the awesome minivan mm-hmm. that she was born in died. Yeah. It was it was done. We're like our daughter had to call us from a Portillo's because it stopped working and she had to run back to school. Like yeah. it, it was getting to a point where it was like a safety issue. Yeah. So we had to get another used car for mm-hmm. our girls to to use and you know whatever. And that is a gift. Mm-hmm. There is some um the ability for us to trade in that car and get another car not a lot of people can do. Sure. Right? So you're like, this is a big deal. And you like to tell us all how you didn't have your own car until Mm -hmm. you got your first job Mm -hmm. and nobody drove you around and all that kind of stuff. So I think you were just coming off that too. Totally. And I still am swimming in that entitlement. And I always go to Byron Katie, the work is how's the opposite of that story true. Mm -hmm. So my story or my judgment is my kids are sometimes entitled. I'll, I'll just like, I'll make it very simple extreme. I have entitled kids. Okay. Which isn't true, but that's... How you feel. That's how I feel. Because you're comparing to your life. Right. And the opposite of that story is, you know, we're fast forwarding to the turnaround. How am I entitled? You are entitled. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Of course. We, we are given gifts as adult mm-hmm. people from our family that is unbelievably... Um, I didn't work for some of the gifts that you're family or my family has given to us, whether it's inheritance when my mom died. Mm-hmm. I was, or when my dad died, yeah. I mm-hmm. was given this money. Yeah. I didn't work for that. No. So how am I entitled? Damn right I'm entitled. You are also a white man. You yes. are just innately entitled. Yeah. Uh, I mean, should I start the grocery list of how I'm entitled? Right. And so, and that is not like everybody listening, that's not a put down. Mm-hmm. That is an, an awareness of that Todd walks through the world. Todd and I still argue about lock the doors at night Mm -hmm. and he does it. He's not trying to, he doesn't make fun of me anymore, but it's not on his list of priorities. And sometimes I wake up and I'm like, you did not lock the door. Like three, four women live in this house. Mm -hmm. You, we are not white men Mm -hmm. living in this house. Like you have got to be thoughtful and he does. And that's a, and so someone could Mm -hmm. say, oh, that's forgetfulness, but that's also 
an awareness of entitlement that he hasn't had to worry about the same things that the girls and I have had to worry about. And it, it's demonstrated through action. Mm-hmm. I also don't think Todd's a bad person. Mm. It's just a reminder. Obviously, I don't. You're an amazing person. It's just a reminder. And you have to remind me of things like, you know, let's, well, the, the car is not a good one because I agree with you on that. But there are certain things you're like, oh, like money, go over the budget with me. Mm-hmm. This should not be something I'm doing by myself. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I sometimes feel like, you know, we're, we've divided up the world, our lives enough where I'm like, am I not doing enough here? Yeah. But you're like this, you've got to know this. Yeah. And so there are pieces that it's not just Todd. I am entitled to. And yeah. we all need to own that. Well, and the reason I bring it up is for any parent out there, and I'm guessing it's every parent out there that has had at least a moment like, God, you you kids, you got it mm-hmm. easier, you're entitled, whatever. When I'm in a good place, I can stop, pause, do Byron Katie's The Work, which is four questions and a turnaround, and I'm not explaining it well, <clears throat> and we've done shows on it before, but how is the opposite of my story true? So my story is my kid is entitled. The opposite of that story is I'm entitled. Or my kid is not. Exactly. How is my kid not, not entitled? Right. I wasn't volunteering at hospitals Mm-mm. when I was 17 Mm-mm. years you old. You weren't as worried about grades as she I wasn't is, as yeah. worried about grades as I, I didn't have an enormous amount of worries that these kids at this now moment, I didn't have drills for when somebody might enter a school. I know. Like all these things that I never had to deal with that mm-hmm. my kids now do. Correct. So- so that's the invitation to myself and to anybody out there listening. So the reason we got on that track is that was an example. We just kind of walked through an example of the daily experiences we have with our kids where we just become, it's not about them. We point a finger at ourselves and say, I'm entitled. I'm a jerk. You just realize all the nuance of a conversation. Sure. That's all. This is not about self-blame. And this is not, it, Zen Parenting, just this podcast, the things I write can so quickly be turned around to say you're blaming the parents or you're being permissive or you're and it's so much more nuanced than that yeah. I'm telling you like Todd and I we went out to breakfast this week and weekend and I was remembering how when the girls were little how strict I was and how I would always say on the show people would be shocked at how strict I like now my girls are older so I'll, there's a much different flow sure. but I think there's such nuance to everything that we're talking about that if you are right now thinking to yourself well mm-hmm. I'm not entitled it's like you aren't as a whole, but there are pieces of your life where you are yeah. because we all are. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're talking about that because I was talking about patterns and how I can read people's behavior and patterns. And it's why I'm a therapist because sometimes when someone comes in to talk to me, I know what they need to hear. And I don't mean I make things up. I mean that you can kind of feel how ready they are mm-hmm. to talk about a certain thing based on their emotions and behavior. Mm-hmm. I'm like, or they're thinking, you know, this is what I'm thinking. And I'm like, okay, well then we're going to go this way. Yeah. And that's what most, my social work students, we talk about this all the time. Why are you in my classroom? Cause I can feel what other people need. People listen to me. People talk to me. That's why we do what we do. Right. So this is a good thing. But the thing that I thought was funny in the Brene Brown podcast is that she was talking to her therapist about these special skills that she had growing up. And I'm sitting there listening, you know, really relating to her like, yeah, I felt like I had magical skills too. And her therapist said to her, and now that you're an adult, it's called hypervigilance. Mm. And I was like, totally. Mm. I am very hypervigilant. And, and the irony of, the, of using this word is when I was a therapist at a Children's Memorial, now Lurie's Children's Hospital, 
one of the words we used all the time with our clients was their hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're, you know, kids who have been traumatized or harmed or, or struggling with their behavior, they're super hypervigilant. And I used to use that word all the time in my reports. And I never used it with myself. Yeah. But what I know is that I am, and I, this is part of being a mom and it's part of being Kathy, I am scanning the environment for threats constantly. Yeah. And I don't mean threats like hurricanes. That's that's a whole nother piece. And I'm using hurricanes because that's not threatening to my mind because yeah. I live in Illinois. Threats like tornadoes. Like the other night, about a week ago, there were tornadoes that tore through Kentucky, part of Illinois. It was devastating. The next day in Illinois, it was 65 degrees. My head, so I also have these physical experiences. I felt so horrible. Like I knew this weather was wrong. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure many of you did. Like I had a migraine. I was like, this is awful. We took a walk outside. It felt awful to me. And I know some people are like, it's nice. What's the problem? It didn't feel right. And that night the wind was blowing so hard. And I was like, okay, like how are we going to manage? Like you're not even thinking, you're like, you know, asleep. And I'm like, how, like tornadoes, like I have to think about these. Now, let me take that back. I feel (laughs) as if I must contemplate this. Is this a reality? And what would we do? And part of that is being Kathy and part of that is being a mom. And part of that is just what I grew up with, which is scanning the environment. And it's exhausting. And so I am in at one time noticing I'm becoming self-aware about who I am. And there's part of me that's saying, oh my God, chill the F out. Mm-hmm. And then there's part of me that wants to be seen by you and other people where you must understand that I am scanning the environment for threats in a conversation with the weather, with COVID, with education, with other people. Like it is, it is like I have scans in my eyes and anything anyone says, I am picking up on their body language, how they say it's so at the end of the day at six o'clock when I'm like, I'm tired, I know it may be difficult to understand what's been going on. And and you don't need to understand. I understand. Like this is why I'm tired. So that's it. That's my story. So <laughs> like you don't know thing, these things. Yeah, I know all these things. <laughs> and uh, you know, I will say it must be exhausting. Mm-hmm. So I'm it first is. connecting with you through not that I experience it, but observing you, uh-huh. it's my guess is really, really tiring. Yes. You know, emotional work is probably more tiring than running 10 miles. You know, like emotional work is work. Right. So it's exhausting. But I, I, let's stick with the tornado okay. thing mm-hmm. because that's interesting. I think uh, let's let's go extreme. It, the wind was howling that yeah. night, and it was pushing, like up, pushing against up against our windows. The south side, mm-hmm. the wind was coming from the south, mm-hmm. and it was just blowing, and it just felt like our house was going to, yes, just fall over. Yeah, no, that's all not going to happen. Right, right. all stories. The hyper vigilant person, the hyper hyper vigilant, stays up all night looking at that, looking at the house. Right, right. Or the hyper vigilant says, uh, "Everybody get in the basement." Right. Or so, so that's the hyper 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 vigilant. The Person, what is it? We need a, a word for the opposite of hypervigilance. Uh, in denial, disconnected. Utter denial. Utter denial. Let's call it yeah. utter denial. I'm going to write that down. The utter denial person uh, gets drunk to the point where he passes out and doesn't even care what happens. Right. Okay. 
So where I am on that pendulum is I said to myself on the continuum, I said to myself, if a tornado happens, the tornado sirens will go off and we'll get in the basement. Mm -hmm. That's how I sleep well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying I do these things perfectly, but yeah, I'm not going to worry about a tornado. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I worry about a tornado? The sirens are going to go off. We'll get our butts to the basement. Mm -hmm. Boom. Done. That's what we did when we were in uh, Wisconsin this summer. Yeah, that happened this summer, yeah. We had to wake up. I was like six vodkas in and I had to wake up and go (laughs) in the basement. I was really mad. Six vodkas. Um, so, oh, so it's, it's, it's <laughs> observing the continuum of hypervigilance and utter denial. Yes. And I think if I moved towards the hypervigilant, that would give you permission to move towards wherever I happen to be. Well, I think like sometimes what I wish is that when I come to you, or anybody, you're not the only one. Um, there's a lot of like, uh, why do I have to think about that? Or, you know, just like my blog, you know, I'm writing, I'm like, here's what you can say to your kids if they're in mental health crisis and people are like, unsubscribe. Yep. <laughs> like, I See don't want to hear it. And, I, you know, I have to hold space for that. Like mm-hmm. I've felt that way before with things. So it's like, okay, I just don't want to deal with that today. That's fine. You could even find the one inside of you, like let's call it the unsubscriber persona. Yeah, like I don't want to look at that. Totally. We got that. I got that. Yeah. I got that. That's the thing is I can't be, I can be in the moment be like, oh, but I also don't not understand. I do sure. understand. So, but I think like, for example, like Todd, this week, you know, we're going into the holidays and there's all this, you know, threat of COVID again. And like, I wish you were like, oh no, we're, ma- we're wearing masks tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. I wish I didn't have to be like, will you think about this? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to, mm-hmm. because you, you don't want to, mm-hmm. because you're thinking about other things. Yeah. And I'm like, will you just decide that you guys are going to wear masks mm-hmm. or sit outside mm-hmm. or do something so I don't have to say to you, are you guys going to wear masks? Mm-hmm. Because you know what? You might say it's not going to make that much difference. You'll try and talk me out of it. Mm-hmm. But mentally for me, I can set it down because yeah. I'm like, Todd's thinking about this. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that I feel like I constantly have to bring up and we meet somewhere in the middle. But I just wish you were like, no, no, I've already thought about yeah. this because I'm listening to the news or I'm listening to you and I'm not scared. You don't have to be afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid either, but I do want to be thoughtful. Yeah. I don't want to, I I don't feel, I think one of my, interestingly, one of my traumas, I'll call it that word, um, is the fact that people are like, oh, you're so emotional or you're so concerned about what could happen. And I want to be like, I am and I save your ass a lot. Yeah. And you don't even know it. Yeah. And you get to walk around being like, I get to be myself. I get to be fun. I get to stay out. I get and I'm doing things so you don't have to think about it. And you then get to call me yeah. naive, afraid, yeah. Scared nervous, cat, neurotic. Whatever. I become the butt of the joke. Yeah. And yet I'm really covering your butt a lot. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes I'm not, mm-hmm. maybe sometimes I'm too over the line, but a lot of the times you don't have to think about things cause I do. Yeah. And I think that a lot of moms feel this way. I think I'm speaking for a lot of moms who are like, if people in my house knew what I did and I wasn't here, yeah. they would be like, where's my towel? Yeah. Where's my, you know, like the, the most basic things Where's the food in the fridge? Where There's things that, and again, this gets into emotional labor. We don't need to go down that track. But sometimes it's that feeling of I am 
there, it, it's not like you want people to go, thank you, thank you, thank you, but please don't make fun of me mm-hmm. because you know the work I'm doing, scanning the environment. Um, that's a that's that's a heavy load. Well, and just do I make fun of no, you? No, right not now? anymore. Okay, mm-hmm. I just want to make you sure you used to, and yeah. and and you, and I think that uh, from my history, a lot of people, yeah, did. yeah, yeah. So I, that's why I'm calling it a trauma. Yeah. But so if you sometimes if you're not making fun of me, but you're like you don't need to worry about that. I want to be like okay. Mm-hmm. Have you read the news? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not making things up. Because, dude, I want to live in a utopia. I scan Twitter for good news. I'm not someone who is looking for dystopian futures. I'm looking for utopian futures. So I go to the worst cesspool of information to find good news. And I know people will say, what are you doing? And I'm working on it. <laughs> I was it. about to write that down. But do you understand the thinking? And again, I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm already claim. I know, Todd, I'm wrong. But if there's good news on Twitter... It's got to be good news. Is Does there, that make sense to you? Is there ever going to be a pattern of good news on Twitter? Pattern, no. Moments? Of course, you can find it. You can, yes. You can dig for it. Yes. Moments, and they are awesome. But they don't sustain, and it becomes another dopamine hit that doesn't mm. sustain, and, and I know that's not where I'm going to get yeah. my goodness. So I, I just want you to know that that I have some work to do yeah. as well. Um I'm working on it right now. Actually, one of my daughters gave me like a great idea to set my alarm. If ever I'm on TikTok or on Twitter, she's like, I set my alarm. Here, my kid is telling me how to do this. And it's really helpful mm-hmm. because when it goes off, I'm off. Yeah. And it's like, then you're not scrolling and looking at negative things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but I guess the, the thing about... Um, let me take it to another place unless you had something you well, want to say. Well, we're an hour and one minute in. Okay. Let me finish it with this and okay. then you tell me whatever you want to tell me about this. Is it, What I realized, and this is just for me personally, is I've realized that this is why self-awareness has been my goal in life and everything I've written about and what I do for a living and what you and I talk about is I've realized that I've had to do maybe more work than your average bird because I chameleoned a lot Mm -hmm. in my life and went into situations not to be myself, but to make sure everybody else was okay. And that I would be like, they need me to say this. They need me to do this. And when you feel like you have that responsibility, you don't even know what it means to show up as yourself. I do now. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like now you got to manage, you got to, you know squeeze in another person how do i feel about this which i think i'm i'm getting better at yeah. don't you think i'm pretty good at saying what i need yes yeah better as than, we get older we get a little mm-hmm. more step into our place of empowerment remove all the bs and, yeah and i think that what what we figure out and this is not just me but everybody listening is that there's room for all of us yeah that what i've figured out is i can i'm gonna always scan mm-hmm. it's just who i am and it doesn't mean i always need to fix it that's yeah. something I'm learning is let them go through this. And if they ask me, I'll give them my perspective. But there is room for me. Yeah. And what I feel is just as important as other people. And I think that not more important, just as important. Yeah. And that that practice of knowing what we want, inserting ourselves in something, and then offering, trying to mix all those pieces is... Um, it's my life practice. There, yeah. I, I will never be done. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a good way to close it out. <laughs> All right. Um, I do want to say thank you to our founding partner, 
Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. And listen to our outro. Um, we just recorded, I think, a few weeks ago, just to give you a summary of what's cooking yeah. with Zen Parenting. And you know what? Actually, this week is Christmas. Yeah. Um, Christmas is on Friday, so Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful week. And will we have a show next week? Uh, you and I will talk about it. Okay, because I, I know, you know, we're not going to be here, so. Yeah, we'd have to pre-record it. Yeah. We'll see. But we'll see. But um, have a great week, everybody. We love you. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. Remember to register for our Zen Parenting Virtual Summit, where you will learn from 15 thought leaders and learn more about Kathy's book, Zen Parenting, caring for ourselves and our children in an unpredictable world. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering my new book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com resources. It's our new page where you can find everything we do in one place. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.